Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 34. Welcome to RestaurantUnstoppable.com. Listen to successful restaurant professionals as they discuss the tools, tactics, and services they use to better lead, manage, and market their restaurants. Join our community and make your restaurant dreams unstoppable. Here's your host, Eric Cacciatore. Yo, what's going on all you unstoppable restaurant professionals? This is Eric Cacciatore. And this is the podcast for personal growth in the restaurant industry. And we do that by interviewing some of the industry's most successful restaurant professionals and taking their advice and learning together and uh, just applying all these tools and services that they talk about to our our own everyday life. Uh, This is going to be a really quick intro because it's a long one today. Uh, Our our guest today really had some amazing advice and I didn't want to cut him short. So um, I'm going to let you guys get right into it. Enjoy today's show. You know how to connect with me. Here it is. With excitement, please allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Gavin Van Starten. Did I say that right, Gavin? That's right. All right. How are you doing today? Um, very well, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on, Eric. Oh, I am uh, honored to have you on the show. I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Are you ready to uh, drop some knowledge bombs that are going to make all of our restaurant dreams unstoppable? Yeah, and <laughs> I'm, I'm honored to be able to help. Uh, I think you're going to be great, and I can't wait to hear what you have to say. But uh, let me just give a quick introduction, and then I'll pass it over to you to elaborate a little bit more on your background. Uh, Gavin is the managing director of Apples and Pears Entertainment Group out of Melbourne, Australia. Apples and Pears Entertainment was founded in 2007, and in seven short years has grown to over four, or grown to four locations with over 100 employees. Um, I'm sure Gavin can explain to you a little bit deeper the company's background and his uh, history in the industry. So I'm just going to pass it over to you now, Gavin, to kind of dig in deep and uh, give us your story. How'd you get started and uh, what, what's it all about? Tell us. Talk to, oh, talk to well, us. <laughs> uh, I fell into uh, hospitality at the uh, early age of, I think it was 18 or 19. I actually fell in love with an apprentice chef. Uh, and the air was, uh, I was, I was studying university at the time and uh, uh, the hours that uh, we didn't seem to have any time together so I said well instead of me I think I was working at a pizza delivery shop at the time um, and I uh, so I, I ended up uh, trying to get a job in, in uh, this is back in Perth I think uh, oh, must have been early 90s 1992, 93 and um, at that time it was really hard to get into the industry if you didn't have experience and uh, I must have applied for 10, oh, it must have felt, it felt like 100 jobs, but it must have been about 10 jobs and just got knocked back because I just didn't have any experience. And, um, you know, I just knew that I'd be amazing at what I could do if someone would just give me a chance. And the, the real story is, uh, I mean, I've got an African background and I saw an advert for a, uh, an African-themed restaurant, a South African-themed restaurant um, opening in, in the suburb of Subiaco in Perth by a gentleman named Roche and you know, this is way before the internet days and he had actually put his phone number down which um, his home phone number down in the advert and I, I remember ringing it and, and uh, it was got to an answering machine and I was so eager I actually filled his whole entire answering machine with the reasons why he uh, should give me a job 
And um, uh, the rest is history because he said, oh, God, after I listened to that message, he said, I just couldn't, you know, I just didn't, couldn't have the heart to, um, to, uh, to say no. So, and then um, within a couple, I mean, I started as a waiter and within three months I was a supervisor and um, within six months I was basically running the joint. So I went through a very steep learning curve I don't think I was ready to be a manager. I think he saw a lot in me that he really liked and a lot of trust. Just to, um, to paint the picture, what age were you at when you when you just approached this gentleman? You said, hey, and you wrote him this message. Well, this is, or you, you left a voicemail. Exact age. So we're looking at about 93. Nine, so it must have been 93, 94. So it would have been in my early 20s. Okay. So it would have been 20, 21. Okay. Um, I was working for him. Um, and... Um, it didn't help that the gentleman that he had hired to be the manager didn't work out. So I, I kind of took the opportunity, and he saw a lot of uh, enthusiasm, and um, I went from being a casual waiter to a full-time supervisor to a full-time manager in a very short amount of time. Um, and I pr- I look, in retrospect, I wasn't ready. I mean, in, I actually, we still keep, keep in touch, uh, Rosh and I, he was a great mentor and still is to this day. Um, and I just said, you must have been crazy, man, just learning this <laughs> straight out of university with no, you know, running a restaurant. And he said, you did such a great job. And, uh, you know, for um, many reasons, there's a lot of re- lessons that we learned from that. And he ended up selling the restaurant and I went and worked somewhere else. And But we still keep in touch. And... Um, I went to another restaurant in Perth from there. I was working at a, a restaurant called Fraser's, which was probably back then the best restaurant in Perth um, in a beautiful location. Um, but being the best restaurant in Perth, there was about 60 people in front of me waiting for a supervisory role. So I went in as a senior waiter, and after about a year, I just figured out, man, I'm never going to get anywhere in this company. I'm just uh, there's uh, you know, People have been with the company for 20 years. And an opportunity came for me to move to Melbourne, which is um, on the uh, total opposite side of Australia, for those who don't know, um, away from my family, away from my support group. Um, I was single at the time, and I thought I had nothing to lose. And mm-hmm. Came to Melbourne and, uh, you know, got in with the restaurant group then, learnt a lot, moved on, ran bars, became sommelier, did a whole lot of stuff just to get my experience up. And um, just before Red Spice Road, I was working at a fine dining restaurant, which has probably taught me a lot about business, the business side of things and the importance of cash flow and keeping costs under control. Very small restaurant, only 40 seats, but uh, one of the best, you know, won numerous awards. Um, we uh, were a two-hat restaurant, over, which over here in uh, Australia is uh, Lucky Michelin. Awards, so three hats is amazing. There's only one or two three hat restaurants in Melbourne. Um, there's probably about 20 two hat restaurants. So two hat restaurant is, is a fairly good achievement. That's we nice. ran that for a bit of time, and um, then I, that's how I got to meet Andrew, who's the principal of Red Spice Road. Um, he came into the restaurant. He ended up buying shares in that restaurant. Now, what, what time are we talking about? What's the what's the year now? We, to give a we, perspective, talking 2007 when I met Andrew. So, okay. but I had been running uh, the restaurant Interlude um, from 2004. So we opened chairs. So it's been three years there, and Andrew ended up buying uh, half a share in that restaurant and wanted to move it 
Red Spice Road, he kind of inherited and it was he, he wanted to have a catering kitchen and it was too big for catering kitchen, so he put a restaurant in. And it, look, there's a long story there, which I'm not going to bore everyone with. Um, yeah. uh, but, you know, one thing led to another. And, you know, we built this brand. It was an opportune time. We did a really, really good job at, at figuring out the market and, and, and getting uh, putting in a restaurant that was successful because we listened to what was around us and what the demand of the market was. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my partner in crime, John McClay, is the executive chef here. You know, without him, this place is nothing. I would have never, never been the success that I am today because, you know, he's uh, an amazing, an amazing chef that uh, just really knows how to nail Asian food down there. I mean, he's a Melbourne boy. Okay. not an Asian chef by anything, but he loves traveling to Southeast Asia. So let's talk a little bit about your title, which is Managing Director. Um, I'm not entirely familiar with that title. I won't lie. That's sure. not really what caught my attention. So tell us. A little bit more about your role and what your responsibilities are with the um, Apples and Pear Entertainment. At the end of the day, look, the title is just a title. I guess it's because we have each of the restaurants does have a general manager. Mm-hmm. So you could call me a group general manager, but um, I think uh, that just for the uh, the ease of understanding for everyone, managing direction in Australia is, like, I guess, equivalent to CEO, but we're not a big enough business to have the title of CEO. Mm-hmm. Um, so managing director means you know the, the person who's ultimately responsible for the financial success of the restaurant. So the buck sort of stops with me. Um, which is, it is a- which is great because we need people like you on the show because we talked to like so many executive chefs and I, I don't. Uh, regret having any of them on my show. They've all been terrific, but we need to get yep. both sides of the story. And really, at the end of the day, this show is about um, leadership management and marketing, and, and you really come in strong with the, the management and marketing yeah. aspects of uh, running a, a restaurant or a hospitality uh, yeah. operation. So I, I can't wait to learn from you. Um, I don't want to cut you short. Is there anything more you want to add to your intro? No, well, I guess uh, if you want to look at the, what the role of a managing director in a restaurant group is, it's basically you're the traffic cop. You know, you basically, you can't get involved in the day-to-day operational side of things, but you just try and lift all the obstacles that have been put in place of all your staff. So I've got seven direct reports at the moment. So I've got seven people that I talk with on a regular basis. It's probably too, too many. Okay. So, But at the moment, that's really what it is until we get to the next level revenue-wise and we can sort of put in a different structure. That's that's what it is, really. Um but, yeah, that's really what my job is. is that I, uh, it's quite easy to get back into the nitty-gritty of the day-to-day operations and, you know, why is the till not balancing or why is this point of sale not working or why is the phones not being answered? But you really, you really have to put in a structure underneath you where all those things are looked after or responsible, responsibility to other people within you. And all you're doing is just making sure that their job's uh, easily achievable. So you're just you're, all you're doing is just lifting obstacles and, and making sure the things are just running smoothly for them. Mm-hmm. That, um, that really reminds yeah. me of uh, Paul Hibbler, a previous guest, talks about uh, a book you read where uh, when, when you're managing, you uh, you think of yourself in a hierarchy at the top of the pyramid, right? You're at the top, but really yeah. the way you need to think of yourself is at the bottom of the pyramid, serving everyone above you. Uh, if you flip that pyramid upside down, you're at the bottom, right? And then everyone, yeah, and that's yeah. exactly what you just said. So it's really, yeah, yeah. it's cool to kind of get that perspective. That's your job is to serve people above you and to make sure they can do their job. 
Absolutely, so, and that's yeah. that's what that's what my job is, you know. And you know, well, the question I get up every morning is, and that's the second the second question I ask myself is, how can I serve my staff? But the first question is, you know, just to remind myself that I I'm not here to make sure that the phones are ringing or the phones are getting answered or that the chefs are turning up for work or that the bills are getting paid. I've just got to I've got to actually. You almost have to what they would call helicopter, you have to helicopter over business and make sure everything is sort of running and not getting too involved in day-to-day operations. Um, but, yeah, I love the word serve. It's, uh, we'll get a little bit into that later. It's one of my uh, quotes that I love. Before, is being we, before we dive too deep into the interview, is there one point where you can dial back and just think to yourself, uh, when you remember being like, this is the industry for me. Like, this is what I, I love to do. Like, hospitality is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Did, can you can you think of one point in your life where you just knew? Yeah. It was recently. It was when I first started here. Andrew, when we met, I was the uh, the manager, the receptionist, the sommelier, the payroll officer. The, you know, I kind of did everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. He must have seen something in me. He said, look. Let's get a restaurant manager in there because I, I really like what you've done. Look, why don't you get into marketing? You know, is that something you're interested in? I said, oh, well, yeah, to be honest with you, yeah, I've been doing some pretty hard yards on the floor. You know, I wouldn't mind doing some Monday to Friday, 9 to 5. That would be awesome, you know, having some nights off to myself. Within the first week, I didn't feel right. And I thought, I'll give it a little bit more time. And I, I think I lasted about eight months. And that's when I went to Andrew and I said, look, this, this marketing thing is not, not for me. I miss the hospitality. I miss the people contact um, you know, let's sort something out. I said, look, Andrew, it's coming up to Christmas. I'm not happy in marketing. It kind of runs itself. You don't really need someone in there. We can get such and such person to look after it. I'm happy to look after Red Spice Road, but I'm not sure if it's my 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 fit because I've done, you know, fine dining. I'm not sort of sure if volume is what I'm into. Um, and he said to me, he said, look, mate, you either got to take it or you've got to go. You know, it can't. I can't keep on just putting band-aids over this business, you know. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I uh, really want to uh, look for a job. So I said, yeah, right, no worries, I'll give you at least a year. And, you know, I'm so glad I did because, look, I fell into it. I remember that very first day, that very first meeting, I pulled all the staff in and said, look, you know me as the marketing guy, but now I'm your your boss. (laughs) And, um, you know, it was a bit of a transition, but I loved it. I came in and I... Really, we really John and I really honed in on the on the strengths of the restaurant. and just got rid of all the stuff that wasn't working, and it was you know Andrew gave us the amazing freedom for us to just trust ourselves, trust our instincts, um, and uh, he gave us free reign. So we were kind of working for ourselves for a long time, and really that transition when I did marketing, I just knew that hospitality. I just knew look. I don't Sometimes think there's anything. You just know. I mean, it's, and it takes a special breed of person to just uh, love that ability to take care of others and to get that yeah. personal award by seeing other people happy. And uh, yeah. so it's definitely and, something um, you shouldn't be ashamed of. A lot of people, that, they get, you know, it's, it's, it's look, special. Yeah, I'd say one of my hobbies is obviously technology, and I thought, oh, maybe I could get into point of sale, maybe IT. But once again, I just think I miss the people and, miss this, you know, it's a bit of a kept in a dark room and sitting in front of a computer and that's yeah. not really about so well i'm sure we could go all day in the background and your experience with apples and berries yeah. entertainment group but we gotta dive into the rest of the interview um sure. so i like to start every interview off uh before we start asking the questions with 
um, a leadership or success quote. What do you have for us today how to, how to get this motivational ball rolling? All right. This is one that I got from my – I've got a business mentor, John Sharkey. He's uh, probably someone who's transformed my life. Um, and this is one of his quotes um, that I got from him that just – I've been practicing all my life, but I never actually had the words to fit. And it uh, is uh, a good leader serves – sorry, a good leader leads, but a great leader serves. So that's, at the end of the day, that really – epitomizes what I've done in my career and really one of my strengths is that I come in every day trying to serve my serve my staff as well as trying to make sure that they're being led. So it's all about the, the service that you provide. A good leader leads and a great leader serves. I love it. That's right. Yeah, that's it's nice and simple, easy to remember, <laughs> and uh, I still have to write it down because I sometimes get a bit confused. But it makes a lot of sense when you look at the words and you just you feel it. It's very emotional. It's a very emotive sentence. It actually uh, brings a lot of emotion to you because it, it, it resonates. And it would resonate with people that have their natural ability, have emotional intelligence about themselves, about their staff. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of resonation with that. And when you said that to me, it almost brought tears to my eyes because it means it, it's, it's a very, very powerful sentence. I love it, man. I really do. And uh, the, the words you're saying right now, like, for example, emotional intelligence and serving others above you. And, like, I just know this is going to be a great interview. I can't wait to, to hear what else comes out of your mouth. Can you give us your it factor? What is it about you uh, that c- contributes to your success at Apples and Pear Entertainment? Um... All right. It does come back to that, that those two words, emotional intelligence. And there's a lot. It's not just a fad word. It's about really caring about the people around you. Um, because if you care about the people around you, that that it, that gets passed down the line tenfold. So you're looking after your staff, caring about their well-being, caring about their emotional state, caring about you know them not getting burnt out, making sure that they got enough money when they go home to enjoy their lives, that all translates into a happy environment and then your customers are happy as well. So I've worked for a lot of, uh, I'm trying to think of a family-safe word um, that I, I don't... It's all right. <laughs> but, we can edit if you get out of control. Don't worry about it. A-holes. I've worked for a lot of a-holes. <laughs> I, um, I always said when I was the boss that I would never be one. Mm-hmm. If I was giving any advice to anyone who's thinking about how do they treat their staff, it's actually not not that extent. I wouldn't recommend going to that extent where you're, you're living your life outside of work with your staff. That's probably taking a bit far. It's one of the mistakes I learned early on in the piece. And there's a very happy balance and it's quite easy to achieve um, as long as you follow your heart and you know, you just say, so you, you, get, you get a feeling and say, well, yeah, I'd like to go with you guys for a beer, but I'm going to draw the line at this point. And I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna be the boss, and that's really the, you know, that comes with the maturity. I think if I'd been 26 and been in this position, I probably would have not been the success that I was. I think that you just you get that it's it's not just part of your work life, but also in your 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 work your life outside of work. You, you gauge people, you gauge the um, the limits and boundaries that you have with people, mm-hmm. um, and and work's no different. So um, my yeah. success has always been making sure that everyone is looked after and happy and, you know, and that's but also being fair. Being fair, being fair to the business and being fair to your staff yep. as well, that's a, it's a very happy balance. You know, you said in the very beginning, though, those two words, emotional intelligence, and uh, people 
you know, some people they grow up and not, they don't really recognize this gift to be emotionally intelligent as a skill and as an asset, but truly it is. And um, I, my previous career as a commercial pilot, I, I flew with a lot of you know captains who were natural born, uh, extremely technical, uh, just seemed so comfortable in the pilot seat, but. Uh, they, they didn't know how to deal with people for the life of them. They just couldn't deal with working in a crew atmosphere. And that's exactly what the hospitality industry is. It's a crew mm-hmm. atmosphere. You're only as good as your team. And to be successful in that kind of atmosphere, you need to have that um, emotional intelligence to be able to read people and to well, be empathetic and caring. And that's a great asset. Yeah. yeah. Really, you know, you really have to lead from your heart. You have to use a lot of you, you, what you feel. And so a lot of people try and manage from their head. Mm-hmm. They try and read up on... They try and look at textbooks on how to deal with people, how to, and it's it's got no. You, you can read all the books in the world if you're not if you're not ruling or you're not not leading from your heart, then it, it's it's a it's not authentic. And worst thing you can be in life is not authentic. If you're not authentic to your staff, they pick up on it straight away. Absolutely. So if you're not authentic. If you're not authentic, and it's the same in your real life outside of work. If you're not authentic, people pick up on it. Absolutely. People pick on on fake things, and as soon as you do that, you lose trust in people. And once you lost trust in people, it's very hard to get back. Um, so you've got to you've got to be authentic. And the only way you can be authentic is to rule with your heart and to have sense check everything that you do. And yeah, there's a little bit of logic about. Of course, I'm not saying geez, go everything you got to rule with your heart, but everything you got to. My mentor, I keep on going back to John, he talks about this um, flow between the head and the heart mm-hmm. constantly because some people just try and do it from here mm-hmm. and then they, they get all the stuffed up and they, they lose faith. People get lose faith in them. Um, and then people, some people who just rule with their heart and then they just get walked all over. So there's this constant flow of trying to make sure that you're using your head and your heart to, to lead. Absolutely. You couldn't yeah. have said it better. Uh, we're going to jump into the next question now. Uh, which is yep. about your favorite restaurant experience. In this industry, we have so many great stories, um, and so many of those stories uh, are act as lifelong lessons as to us. Yeah. Um, so can you think of one uh, experience you had in this industry that really kind of just opened the window or kind of create, created clarity for you uh, and was just a lesson which you won't ever forget? And can you share us, can you bring us to that moment and share us the story? Yeah. Um, my best restaurant experience that I've ever had in my life was in 2009 was in New York City. Uh, Nobu uh, was probably the, and I think there's two in New York and it's the newer one if anyone's thinking about that. Uh, it had just opened in 2009 and uh, for me that experience just blew my mind away and I, I just, I think it was just, it came down to the waiter who just read us Take like us to the book. moment. What, what did that waiter do? What made it so special that you just like you just we took just these mental have, notes that you'll never forget? What was it? We just didn't have to think or want for anything. She just nailed everything. Like she nailed our drinks. She uh, she just knew when to be there, when not to be there. Um, she recommended the food was amazing. The wine, the wines that she recommended were amazing. The cocktails, just everything. Like it was just, it was almost my partner and I still talk about the experience, it was almost like it was a well-rehearsed script. So the waiter had got the script a week before and all she had done was just nailed them and we came in, we played, the, we played our parts as the customers and it was just, it felt like a movie because it was just so perfectly timed and it could have just been luck. But I just, I, I, I once again, I'm a bit of a romantic by heart. I just think, you know, that, that was, was meant to be and that really was... 
Um, it has has we eat up still quite a lot, and it hasn't. You know, we went to French Laundry while we were there. It was an amazing experience. Um, we've been to you know Melbourne restaurants as well. Is Great there, experience. Is there one experience, one thing that you took away from that experience that not, that you now apply to your own operations? Uh, the ability to know when you're needed and when you're not. So the ability to anticipate needs, is that what you're saying? Yeah. I love it. That's right. That's great. Uh, if you can get a waiter that knows that, don't let go of them, honestly. Don't, just give them more money. Don't let them leave. Oh, <laughs> Pay them as much as your manager because, honestly, that just can't be taught. It really can't be taught. I think it's something that comes naturally. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've got waiters that are doing that, you know, you can... You can try. You can train as much as, but I think it's a natural ability. Yeah. And uh, this, if this interview were to end now, it would have been worth it. Yep. That was a, a, <laughs> a great piece of advice you just left with us. Yeah. And uh, for time's sake, we got to move on to the next question, which sure. is uh, the topic of enlightened hospitality. Uh, can you yeah. think of a time, a story, where you've witnessed enlightened hospitality from maybe one of your team members, or maybe it was yourself? Uh, and can you bring us into that story and tell us, you know, about that time that you went above and beyond to? be hospitable i've seen it plenty in in other restaurants and i've seen it in my staff all the time and and it comes down to you know someone goes outside for a cigarette um for a smoke out in the um at the front of the restaurant we've got a little couple of tables and i see waiters you know taking their drinks out to them those sort of things that you know, you know they could just dump the drinks on the table and wait for them to come back but that's just that little bit extra uh, level of service that I enjoy seeing from my team. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not condoning smoking. I'm a non-smoker, but um, it's just um, those little sort of things, or you know, making sure that someone, um, if they need a taxi, or those little bit, of, those little attention to detail items, mm-hmm. which um, are really important for people to make sure that their experience is second to none in your restaurant. And I think you hit it on the, the nose when you say attention to detail, and that's really what it's all about. I mean, it's common sense that, you know, you need to have the good food. You know, if you're opening yeah. a restaurant, you know, I hope you know how to cook. And you, the service is given too. But what people seem to miss is that, um, that, that ability to be hospitable and to really just to pay attention to the detail and to be in tune to their guest needs. And uh, that's what I'm after with these questions, to really tap into, yeah. like, giving examples of how we can just really be in tune to those needs. And that's a great example of being somebody yeah. who, you know, somebody steps outside for a drink, make sure that they're, they're or steps outside for a cigarette, make sure their drink comes with them. And you got the, yeah. just the little things, but they'll remember that, you know, and those are the, and that's what I'm after. So that was a perfect example. And thank you for sharing it. What is your one biggest challenge or was your one biggest challenge and how did you overcome it? Being a general manager uh, or a restaurant manager, um, of one venue to becoming a general manager of two to becoming a managing director of three um, and growing and letting go. Mm-hmm. That's probably my biggest difficulty, I guess, is letting go and not being involved and trusting in those people that you've hired below you to do a good job and, and tying the, you know, untying the bonds, cutting the bonds and say, well, your decision, you know, you you do what you think's best. That's probably been the, the biggest career challenge for me. And how are you overcoming that challenge, Gavin? Is to just trust. Mm-hmm. You have to learn to trust people. You have to you have to trust in yourself that you've done the right job and you've you've hired the right person or you've put the right person in that thing in that position. And the second is you have to trust that they will do the best by you. 
Um, and that's that's basically it. So that's the only way I've overcome it is just just sometimes I feel like it's a blind leap of faith. <laughs> that's me. I just uh, sometimes just go, oh Jesus, I don't. I don't want to do this, but I'm going to have to because I have to let this person grow. Yeah, exactly, um, and I think that's it. You have to let them grow, and unless you give them that space to grow and to give them that confidence they need to be on their own, um, you're only as good as the team you surround yourself with. And if you don't give them the opportunity to really push the envelope, then you'll never give your operation the opportunity to grow and expand because you have to let those yeah. people around you grow and expand. So that's yeah. incredible advice. Thank you so much. For sharing that, Gavin. Uh, now it's time to drop some knowledge bombs. And I know you got some great ones up in that head of yours that you're going to just drop all yeah. over the place. So uh, the first bomb I'm looking for is, is on the topic of employee retention, Gavin. Um, yeah. So it's no secret that employee retention is the, what probably one of the most difficult struggles in the hospitality industry. What advice yes. do you have uh, to first find these incredible employees and then, then keep them around? Okay. Well, I think you have to buy. We have to be able to provide a a, a career path. Um, you're going to have your transient workers. It's within the industry. You're going to have people that are on, you know working holiday or just trying to supplement their college income or um, that have uh, higher aspirations and working in hospitality. But then you do have the people that really look at this as a as a career, and you have to acknowledge that very early on. Um, and that really comes back down to the training. So we, you know, as soon as someone's been with us, I mean, we, we have an, an amazing induction program. That's something that we've, we're really, um, from, uh, like it's a non-negotiable thing that we go through here. It's a, a week of training, so a week with, a day with the chef, a day with the reservations guys, a day with the wine waiter, a day with the bar guys, and then a day on, uh, on the floor. Um, and then, you know, you've got all the OHS nest stuff as well. So you've got lots of – but it's something that we've, we've honed for many, many, many years um, and got it down pat. And we really that, – that first week, it's like a – it's almost like boot camp where you come in and you, 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 you just drill into them the importance of all these systems that we have in place. So um, when you're looking yeah. for these people, what qualities are you looking for? Oh, look – uh, I'd say that you're looking for personality and you're looking for an eagerness to listen. Okay. Uh, above skill. Um, I think skills can be taught. Personality and um, eagerness is something that is inherent and, and uh, if you don't have it, you don't have it. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, sometimes you can just, you know, well, you can some positions to just hire on skill, but mainly you've got people dealing with customers and dealing with members of the public. You want personality and you I've obviously had people that had no experience that have come in. I just like the look of their resume. They've done something quirky in the cover letter or, mm-hmm. um, you know, attached a picture. And you just get a feeling for someone and you just go, right, you know, you've never worked in a restaurant before. Let's, let's, let's give you a go. Great. How do you keep these people um, on, on board once you, you find them? Like how, what's, how do well, you keep these people you, you, you naturally have, I mean, because we're such a tight-knit team here, um, you know, we do, there's a lot of group psychology, I guess, as well. You know, people bring people into the fold, they bring them into the team. Um, and I think the weeds kind of get pushed out 
quite easily because they either don't fit in or they don't play ball or and they just either move off or, or go and find something else. But we, we recognised really early when someone was really keen on the job and we, we acknowledge that people might be in it for a, a short to medium term or a very short term or a medium to long term or a very long term. So you've got to really take it by a case-by-case basis and say, well, all right, well, Jane's just joined us. She's got another three years of college or university ahead of her. Um, so, um, but she's really keen for a job that pays, it pays well and gives her regular hours and gives us some time off over the holidays and all those sort of things. So we look at that and we say, right, well, what can we do for Jane? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Jane's obviously, she's really good with customers, but she's lacking in her wine knowledge. Let's send her on a, you know, we have the Wine and Spirits Education Trust. So we'll send them off, you know, cost the business about 500 bucks to send that person off on that course. But we, we feel it's, it's money worth well spent. Um, so that's not open to everyone. It's obviously someone that we can see with the potential. Um, and, you know, that's, that's sort of a reward to them. And I think, well, hang on, these guys actually feel that feel that I'm good enough to send on this course. Um, and, uh, you know, we find that that breeds loyalty. Mm, absolutely. Um, and yeah. we're, not, we're not buying people. Um, you know, it's a win-win situation. It's a win-win situation for us because, we are, A, we, we, we make the staff member feel loved and welcome and that we care about their, their education Two is, um, you know, they they have better knowledge for our customers, um, and you know that 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 reaps rewards for us in, in more ways than we can. We we can't put a figure on that. We we know it works, so why not? Do it? And we get. It's not about the money. It's not about the five hundred bucks. But if we were looking at it from a commercial expenditure, from a commercial perspective, sorry. You know, that $500 is translated into you. That person's with you for three years. You think about all that knowledge that they can actually increase sales for you. Mm -hmm. So there is a commercial aspect to it, but more so it's it's an emotional thing. It's we care about you enough that we want you to go and learn and be better and all the rest of it. And and that's not just on wine. You know, we might go and send people on management courses. There's a fantastic college here called uh, Australian Institute of Management. Um, There's a wonderful course uh, they, they do uh, for managers called leading, developing, sorry, leading, managing, and developing people. It's a four-week course, one day a week for four weeks. Uh, absolutely amazing course, transformational. So we send all our managers; they go on that course. Um, so there's lots of things. The so training is number one. Training, training is the backbone of your. your your restaurant. If you're not training, you're going to die. Absolutely, um, and I think you'll, you'll never get. There's never enough people in Melbourne or in any city that you can just keep on churning. One thing that you've got to remember is people are not always in for money. Mm-hmm. They, want to, they want a place today. They can have fun. They learn a bit from all those other things. Your yeah, money's running. Money and money's important. So if you can touch. You know, all those needs, we look at the, uh, there's the, the needs theory, and I can't remember the name of the, the, the professor who did it, but there's a hierarchy of needs. <laughs> it's so funny, uh, I was just thinking about the hierarchy of needs. And, yeah, yeah, and I, and we won't go into that, because I'm sure everyone's but, heard of it. If you can touch at least three of those. Yeah. And, um, I think the, the most important one is being the, the need to be wanted and to have purpose. Yeah. And to feel yeah. like you belong to something, and that's really yeah. what you're doing by providing these courses. Um, yeah. You need when you send these folks out to get the training, the the wine training, the leadership training, the management training. That shows yeah. that um, they're not just a, a number 
at your business, they're a person and that you're investing in them and that they serve a purpose in your organization. And when they have that sense of purpose, they're going to show up to work uh, that much happier and it's only going to serve your business because they're going to be um, yeah. in it for the long, not maybe not for the long haul, but just, you know, in it emotionally and that sense of purpose yeah. is going to shine through. Um, and I, I'm sure you could go all day on this topic and you've given us so much sure. information. You're dropping. There is a second side to that. And I won't go, say go ahead. Go ahead. There's a, there a second part to that. And that's feedback is mm-hmm. continually giving feedback to your staff mm-hmm. so that they know that if they're doing a good job or a bad job, because it's so easy, especially if you're an emotional person who deals with a lot of heart, it's quite easy to overlook um, something that you think, oh, they shouldn't really be doing it, oh, but I don't really want to approach it. It's going to be a little bit difficult. Uh, it's too late at night. But it's really important that you give feedback and it's like you, it's, you're, 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 you're fair, you're honest, and you, you give feedback often because there's nothing worse than being in a point and not being in the situation where you don't get the feedback and you're like, well, what am I actually doing here? What, you know? I, I could do a shit job or I could do a great job. It doesn't really matter. No one really tells me either way. So it, feedback is the, the other side to that coin. And then we'll leave it there. Well, thank you very much for sharing that extra. And it is huge. Thank sure. you for sharing it. I'm happy you did. Uh, so the next question I have for you is on the topic of uh, resources. What's your best restaurant resource? It could be a book, website, magazine, or a podcast. Uh, what's one resource that you'd like to share with our audience, something that's definitely worth picking up to kind of personally grow? I read a bit of Eater. Um, I think that that's a really good uh, – gives you some really good stuff, but obviously it's very U.S.-based. Mm-hmm. Um, I prefer to look at my my learning from business. Mm-hmm. So I look at business websites, so HBR, Harvard Business Review, or Forbes, or Time. Some, sometimes Time's got some really concise, small articles that really help. And I try and put that – apply that to a restaurant setting. So – um, but I, in the same breath, I do use Ken Profitable Hospitality. I use him quite a bit when I'm when I really need to know some granular stuff regarding hospitality. But I, I, I prefer to look at my learning as um, because a restaurant is a business. At the end of the day, uh, whether you're running a, a Fortune you know, 500 company or you're running a cafe, suburban cafe, mm-hmm. a lot of those principles are met if you learn the basic of your business. And so. I find that that fulfills me a lot. So, um, I uh, yeah, that's that's really my answer to that question. Is that I don't I don't have a lot of restaurant resources. Um, I do look at a lot of um, business resources. No, well, it is definitely a business, so <laughs> it makes sense, and you have to have that business mentality. So that's a terrific piece of advice. Uh, the next question yeah. I have for you is. Um, what is uh, your best uh, or what's one maybe trick or, of the trade or a trend that you're paying attention to right now that's really got your attention? Uh, is the different way people are handling reservations. Give us uh, an example. Well, the Melbourne's got a few very successful restaurants now that don't take reservations at all. Uh, there are no reservation policies. Um, and then we've got other people that are doing uh, pre-purchase ticketing. Yeah, that's uh, really, really. I sat through a whole uh, discussion at the National Restaurant Association uh, yeah. trade show in Chicago. That was totally dedicated. To, well, not totally, but it's, it seemed like it because that was just a huge chunk. But yeah, it's. Uh, yeah. Tell us what your thoughts are on that, that ticketing. Well, well, look, I mean, we've got um, between all our venues, we've got over 500 seats. So I, uh, I don't think I'd actually be able to do it <laughs> without reservations, to yeah. be honest. With 
I understand the theories behind it. I'm a bit old fashioned. I like, uh, I'm of the, of the uh, observation that I would like to have some sort of certainty when I die. Like, yeah, I don't want to go and sit and mm-hmm. queue up old. Um, and it works for us because we have a very, very small amount of no-shows. So I can imagine for a small restaurant, 45, maybe 60-seat restaurant on a Saturday night, you get two no-shows, there goes your profit. Mm-hmm. So, look, I sympathise with that. I understand. I understand the reasoning behind it. Um, and I don't think there's any silver bullet for um, the answer. But, uh, look, it's interesting. I find it really interesting. I understand why people do it. I'm uh, Andrew, my boss or principal of the restaurant, he's very anti-reservations. He feels that it takes a lot of uh, resources to maintain. But I say to him, well, we would never do the amount of people that we do you know we we do sittings and we manage to we manage to uh we do a lot of table management and uh get in and outs and then manage to turn the tables and uh, you know with the amount of actual inventory that we've got when i mention inventory we're talking about number of seats is that you've got to manage that and you've got to maximize it and there's a whole lot of people that want to dine at 7 30 at night so you know you probably could risk it and you'd be really full at 7.30, but, you yeah. know, there's plenty of restaurants in the city. And unless you're, unless you're the best restaurant in Melbourne, people are not going to wait or they're going to just go somewhere else. You know what I mean? I, and I like to look at us as not the most amazing best restaurant, but we're really consistent. We over-deliver mm-hmm. our promise. So you come in here expecting something, we always over-deliver. Um, and that's something that we concentrate on. So we we don't we don't put ourselves up in the the top ten or anything. But you come here, you'll have an amazing experience, and you'll go back and you tell your friends. But we're certainly not in the business of chasing uh, hats. You know, we're not talking about hats. We're talking about the uh, the awards. Um, that's really it. Would be nice to get one, but it's not it's not something that we live our lives by. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's the biggest trend I'm finding at the moment is. The interesting is the reservations. Not that um, I'm looking at changing or anything, but it's just nice to see the the theory behind uh, what's going on. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. They have some interesting things. Maybe I can do a special show dedicated to looking more into that. But yeah, uh, it's something that's caught my attention too, and I do see the pros of it. Um, but that's a that's a topic for a different show. But thank you for bringing sure. the attention to the listeners. <laughs> Uh, the next question I have for you, and we're almost at, we're almost to the end here, is that uh, there are so many products and services coming into the market every day, and it's so hard to yeah. filter through which services are worth your investment and which are just kind of a bunch of BS. So, uh, can yeah. you give us your completely objective review of one of these products or services that you're using and applying at your restaurants that you would suggest and recommend to our listeners today? Um. Well, I think technology now is advancing to such a stage that you've really got to look at stuff that can help you be more efficient at what you do. Um, and two instances of that that's working really well for us at the moment is uh, a company called Invitbox, which is um, basically it's a uh, instead of receiving paper invoices, uh, your supplier sends you a PDF of your invoice, and that gets automatically recognised and then put straight into your um, accounting package, and we use Xero. Um, and Xero is an amazing product 
with once again it's cloud based so I can log in at home I can log in wherever we are in the world and have all the accounting information we need there um, that's pretty much saved about two days a week for us in the admin section so I've got my admin girl that used to sit there entering all the invoices she's now moving on to um, stuff that's less mundane I guess and more important to um, more importantly, uh, making sure the restaurant is running effectively. So um, I think it's just been bought by um, Intuit, which is a big uh, big accounting company. I think they do QuickBooks Online, um, Singaporean-based company. So um, that's one of the things that we've done that's been amazing. Um, and then the second is obviously cloud-based payroll as well um, and self-service. Um, so people can go in there and request holidays and uh, time off, uh, get their pay slips, change their bank account details, change their superannuation. Or is there one service that you're using? What's the name of that service? It's an Australian company called KeyPay. They've okay. uh, we've just started using them as well. Um, before we had a third party company that used to do our payroll, so we've managed to cut those costs to a third by doing it ourselves, and it takes half the time. Awesome. Um, and for the so US, for the US listeners, I'll try to find something that's a little more uh, yeah. US based. But yeah, yeah. conceptually, that's great advice. Um, they they're looking at going global as well. Yeah. So all those sort of things, just having a look at your processes and how can we do this better? Mm-hmm. How can we do this better without a? Oh, it's got to be. It's either got to improve your quality or keep it the same. You can never ever sacrifice technology for quality. Um, a lot, a lot of the places I see now doing is that they're buying in their vegetables or their their, their food pre-prepped, um, and that's like yeah, you can save yourself a lot of time, but man, how that affects your quality so Absolutely. bad. So you're buying your onions that are really chopped up, or your carrots, and you know they tend to go dry or mm-hmm. soggy, or you know, and people go, oh well, I'm saving so much money, but you think, hang on, but look at look at your product. Can't sacrifice the quality. Saving this, but you're going to be losing your customers Mm -hmm. because it's not going to be up to scratch. Absolutely. So that's one thing I wouldn't recommend. Sorry if there's anyone who's doing (laughs) pre-processed vegetables. Doesn't work for me. It works for other businesses. I completely agree with you on, on all this on, on all the topics. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And uh, and you talked about putting all these systems in place. And really, at the end of the day, uh, when you go cloud, you know, to the cloud for these systems, or you have a a payroll system that you introduce, or a uh, a system, for example, like a scheduling system. Uh, all these things, what they do is they kind of allow you to remove yourself and kind of uh, not remove yourself from the restaurant, but to absorb some of the uh, tasks and responsibilities mm-hmm. a manager would have. So then you can kind of pay, put your time and effort into some of the more, I guess, uh, hands-on challenges that are the kind of challenges that need that emotional intelligence for you to yeah. deal with and to, to deal with your people and your customers. Um, so, yeah, it's all great advice and all things we need to look into. So thank you for sharing those great, great services. Okay. Um, yeah, you also, like the, the appeal of the cloud is that we're dealing with a generation that's growing up with the internet. So you've got to actually start talking their language as well. Absolutely. So paper-based systems are just not going to fly with you know the generation that's coming into your business. Mm-hmm. You've got to be they've got to be mobile. They've got to be able to do this stuff from home. They've got to check their schedule on their, their iPhone or their Samsung, or whatever it is. So you, you can't be relying on old systems to do that. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, what is the best business advice uh, for someone getting started in the industry that you have for us? Cost control. Mm-hmm. And how would you... Control your costs. Mm-hmm. Pay attention to the... Your budget. 
No, sorry, and do it well. Make sure you do a budget. Make sure you control your costs. Great. And any advice, any services that you could recommend for us, or uh, you really got to be doing. You really, if you're running a business, you got to be doing a profit and loss on, on a weekly basis to make sure that you're making money. Because if you're losing money, you're not going to be in business for very long, and it catches up with you very, very quickly. A lot of people I see just think, "Oh, look, I've had a couple of bad weeks. A couple of bad weeks can sink you." Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of really bad weeks and you know, one bad week can sink you and if you're not on top of that you know here in Australia the government is you get back on your tax you you, you fall back on your tax obligations that close you down tomorrow you know not the fact that you've got 105 people employed if you don't pay your tax they'll come and shut you down mm-hmm. um, and they have to be like that because I mean how can you, you know, how can you be gentle with one and not the other and they have to be ruthless and mm-hmm. a lot of people they just fly but they pinch from Peter to pay Paul and they just kind of get through life just trying to you know oh well i won't pay this this week i'll, I'll pay I'll, I'll use that money to pay this and if you're not doing a proper cost controlling you're not making sure that you're making profit on everything that you do or that your labor percentage is in line and you know well i'm gonna just gonna have, i'm gonna have to run today without a barman it's just that's the pure you know i don't have the revenue to support it mm-hmm. i ran my labor too high last night i've got to save something today so you know if you're not on top of all those things then you're going to be out of business before you know it Great. I see it every day. Great advice. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and it's really just a, a, a game of numbers. So, yeah, you have yeah. to pay attention to... You have to be on top of your numbers. Absolutely. If you, if you don't, don't get into business if you don't understand the numbers. Mm-hmm. All right. The last question I have for you, Gavin, is uh, are there any questions I could have asked you that you believe would provide value to our listeners? Uh, and if there is a question, what is that question? And... Uh, What's the answer to that question? One of the biggest lessons was knowing when to let someone go. Um, I'm always a fan of putting a lot of effort into people. And that's something I touched on with a podcast that I did with Ken Bergen from Profitable Hospitality that we didn't elaborate with, but it's something that's really important to me, is that you really have to... Because you, you look at someone and you, you're carrying someone in your business and you're, you're trying to put the effort and you're putting a lot of energy into that person because you maybe truly believe or you you feel sorry for their circumstances, you don't want to let them go because you think of the consequences that might hit them outside of work. Um, there's a whole lot of reasons why you might want to keep that person on. But it's the effect that it has on your team. Recognise early when to say no, when to draw the line and say, this person, I love you dearly, I feel for you, I don't want you to go, but it's not working out. And you've got to be able to say that. If you're going to be a, 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 any sort of manager... You have to know that line. Mm-hmm. And I, I've done it. Uh, one of, uh, I, I keep on going back to the word regret, and I don't like the word regret, but it's the best way to describe it because it's a painful feeling. Is I look back in those, those times where I should have let someone go a while ago and I kept them on for selfish reasons and it have really affected a lot of, 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 of the team and that's one another piece of advice which I just can know that know that know when enough is enough and and and, and honor not just yourself but honor your team mm-hmm. and do it it's, it's a hard thing to do but it's sometimes the best thing to do you know the words that are coming out of your mouth right now remind me so much of a book I just recently finished um, the, the restaurant man by Joe Bastianich I don't know if you had the if you're familiar with Joe no. Bastianich but it's a great book, and he what he says is he used to hate firing people until one day yeah. somebody gave him that piece of advice that when you fire somebody, go in with, to it with the mentality, 
that you're not uh, being mean to that person, and it's hard to be, you know, to get rid of that one person, but you're doing it for the greater cause. You have people, other people that rely on the overall performance of that restaurant. So when that mm-hmm. one person's bringing down that overall performance, they're sacrificing yeah. everyone's hard work. And for yeah. that reason, you have to get rid of them because of the people that you do care about. And so yeah. that's kind of um, very similar, not in the same words, but exactly what you're saying. Um, so mm-hmm. that's amazing advice. Thank you so yeah. much for sharing with us. Yeah. Um, no I'm happy that's what you decided to elaborate on. Cause, you know, There's also really an amazing book, if anyone wants to read it. I remember reading it earlier in my career. It was Turning Tables by Stephen Shaw. Okay. Uh, I think he's a prominent blogger. He's also on egullet.com. Uh, he's a, one of the contributors there. You think he's, uh, his handle is Fat Guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, that was a, it was about seven or eight um, stories, and they sort of he went through a whole lot of uh, things. And one of the things he touched on was on labour relations, and that I learnt a lot of from that. So if anyone can get their hands on it, it's, uh, I'm pretty sure it's called Turning Tables by Stephen Shaw. Um, thereabouts. If uh, anyone needs to uh, double check, I can certainly to happy to check my notes. All right, and I'll look into it. I'm sure I'll be able to find it, and all this will be in the show notes. So just go to the website. I believe this is going to be episode 34. Yep. So let's just go there. I'll be all there. And uh, before we let you go, is there any person that you admire in this industry and respect and believe would make a great additional guest to the show? Here in Australia or? Anywhere. It's a, it's a worldwide. I'm in, I'm in New Hampshire right now. You <laughs> in the United States and you're off in Australia. So just get yeah, um, an idea of the reach we have. Here in Melbourne, there's a, there's, there's actually uh, a gentleman called Jacques Ramond. He's retired now. He was an amazing, someone who's very inspirational to me. He ran, um, he's a French gentleman, immigrated, uh, I can't remember, quite a while ago, came to Melbourne, ran a restaurant, just retired, just figured out that he doesn't like retirement. He's bought <laughs> himself a pub. So he's running a pub, but uh, he's very inspirational. Uh, I'm not sure if you can get a hold of him. I've always found him uh, amazingly uh, eloquent. Um, I've, got, I've got food writers. I've got uh, restaurateurs. Man, I could send you lots of lists of, of people that you can approach. Um, send it over. Well, I'm open arms, man. Any, sure. Anybody and everyone who can uh, contribute and people, add people value to the show. Yeah, have affected me, so I'm happy to provide those with you. All right, well, I'll be in contact, and we'll get that list. And I'll try to get Jacques on the show. Uh, no problem, yeah, but uh, I'll do what I can. <laughs> um, all right, so give yourself a pitch. How can we connect with you? And uh, this is your opportunity to kind of uh, give a shout-out to maybe some of these uh, United States uh, young lads and gals who um, maybe want to take a trip out to Australia for work. Uh, well, hey, yeah, yeah. Look, um, look, LinkedIn is a really good spot to find me. Uh, surname is spelled, oh, I'm sure it will be on the uh, podcast, yeah. but it's uh, V-A-N-S-T-A-D-E-N, first name Gavin. Um, you can drop me a line uh, anytime on my email. It's gavin at apeg.co. Um, I'm always happy to talk. I'm always happy to give people advice, um, particularly people starting out in business because it can be so daunting. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it seems a lot easier. And then you get in and you like get to your first week and you just go, what am I doing? <laughs> um, and, you know, sometimes you need a, you need a friendly advice and that's all you know i'm happy if anyone ever needs questions answered or they're transitioning 
through a phase that I've transitioned through from going from one restaurant to four. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I certainly can uh, give some guidelines and say some of the mistakes that I made and some of the things that worked. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying I'm not perfect yet. I'll be perfect probably the, the second before I park it and end up in the coffin. So uh, that's probably, I don't think anyone is perfect until until it's all over. So, well, I like to go. Call- oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Finish what you're saying. That's all right. I was going to say, I like to call the podcast a melting pot of mentors, and you're just going to prove that uh, this truly is a melting pot of mentors, and uh, we are all going to be better from the advice that you left with us today and your continued willingness to help those of us that are getting started in the industry. So on behalf of everyone, thank you for your your words of wisdom and for your uh, interest in continuing to help, and uh, best of wishes, and thank you so much for being on the show. My absolute pleasure. It's been (laughs) wonderful, wonderful uh, time. Great. Well, don't be a stranger, and uh, we'll we'll uh, keep in touch. Take care. You too. Thanks, Eric. <laughs> Another amazing episode here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Gavin, you had some great advice, and I'm sorry this episode went um, almost an hour long, but you know what? These guys, some of them, they, they get on this tear, and I really just hate to derail them and hold them back from sharing uh, this incredible knowledge with us that will make us all better and more successful in our own careers. Um, a couple of things I wanted to point out first was uh, Gavin's... Uh, experience his own experience when he just reached out to this gentleman at a young age and you know just said hey like give me a shot and sometimes that's all it takes don't be afraid to take risks and reach out to people and uh just try the worst thing that's going to happen is they're going to say no and then you move on to the next guy and do the same thing one you know one of these people sooner or later will say yes and just uh you, you've got to capitalize on those opportunities and uh i also wanted to point out uh gavin's advice uh, to take care of your em- employees and to invest in them. Um, not only will they feel like you value their employment, but you're going to be adding value to your restaurant when you educate these people. Um, then they can turn around and provide just that much better service. Uh, so it's it's an investment. It's a long term investment. Um, you're gonna you're not always gonna win. Sometimes you might invest in these people and they'll, they'll leave you, but when they stick around, it's totally worth it. Um, just be careful on who you invest in. Um, the last thing that I really loved was his advice at the very end to, uh, sometimes it's not easy to let go of some people, but you have to think about the team and what the greater cause. And, uh, you have to put the team first. And if this person isn't living up to the standards you've set, then they're going to bring the whole team down and, uh, you, you can't do that. It's just not fair. Uh, these these people work hard, and um, when you lower the overall quality, it, it affects everyone. So that's what I wanted to point out today. Uh, good stuff. I won't talk anymore. I'm going to get going. Don't be afraid to hit the show notes, episode 34, for all the products, services, books, resources we discussed today. Uh, it's all there for you to click and explore on. So I'm going to bed. It's late. Peace out.